double shot with your favourite cousins, James and Alex Fitzgerald, because I've got a good one, but I'm going to ask you first. Have you ever walked past people talking, someone on the phone, whatever, and just overheard something outrageous or funny? No. No, like, like, like I would Jeez, have, but nothing that, ball. nothing, <laughs> no, like absolutely I would have, but nothing that's <laughs> jumping out. Like clearly it's happened to you in the last day or two. So it's like, you know, you've remembered it, but nothing that I've <laughs> held on to for more than three weeks. Um, what do you got? <laughs> well, I've actually got two. <laughs> so I'm clearly a bit of an eavesdropper. I got to carry the team with two now. I was only going to do one, but, uh, you didn't have one. Um, one that stood out to me was in the middle of stage four lockdown COVID. There was these two guys on a park bench and I was walking to get my daily coffee from the only place that was open. And I don't know if they did it because of the timing of me walking past and it was funny or they were having a legit conversation. <laughs> but one of the guys, as I walked past, literally past them, he said to his friend, yes, so I've joined the 5G conspiracy theory group. I just thought, wow, these people exist. So funny. Did you ask him for the link or? Oh, no, sir, <laughs> I did not. I said, I wonder if he's making a tin hat after this. And then the funniest thing was last weekend, there was these three like mature ladies, if you will, having the <laughs> loudest conversation in a restaurant that Dean and I just didn't even talk. We just were so entertained listening to them. And one of them was dominating the conversation with her theories and she's like, well, you know, all these rich people, you know, they they know where to hide their money overseas and, and avoid tax. Why do you think we've got inflation right now? And then her two friends are going, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. She's I'm, figured it out. She, I'm thinking... I'm genuinely thinking maybe she's onto something and I'm trying to work backwards on money being sucked out of the economy from rich yeah. people. I hope, hope, she's, hope she's rung Jim Chalmers and let him know. <laughs> like valuable information for our treasurer at this moment in time. <laughs> yeah, help rich people keep their money in the country and we wouldn't have inflation. <laughs> hey, just hey, just on that, um, yeah. uh, we, we forgot yeah. to mention the budget last week. It, it well, was sort of everywhere but it wasn't big yeah. news, I guess. Um, mm. so, so maybe in the interest of uh, completeness, um, you know, what was Go your take? No, no, no. I've done all the talking and you wrote a fantastic blog about the budget and I love how you broke it into what you don't really care about or what bothered you and yep. then what you kind of liked. So so over to you. I've told my two conspiracy theory stories yeah. that I overheard. I have to admit, I I, uh, I probably went a little bit off off. Brand, I guess we'll call it in in in, in that blog. That's I don't fine. normally like to get too politically, uh, you know. Like it's not really something I, I think, you know. I don't have any value to add. But um, <laughs> in any event, I, fe- I did feel for the everyday Australian, I thought it was a bit rough that the government is saying, "Hey, you've got to do your bit, rein in spending, and absorb increased interest rates." Yet we're going to go and spend ten percent more than we did last year and 35% more than we did before the pandemic at the same time that we've run up a debt of a trillion dollars, which is, mm. you know, 50% higher than what it was um, before the pandemic. 
I, I just felt it was a bit rough. I thought, where are, where are your hard decisions that yeah. everyday households uh, across Australia are, are being mm. forced to make, and rightly so, by the way, like rightly so, rain, do everyone do their bit to, to yep. rein in inflation and, and all that. Yep. I'm all for that. But I thought it was a bit rough that the government go and spend 10% more mm. than they did last year. I just felt it flew at odds with uh, what everyone else is having to do at the moment. Well, you know, James, I think being being on brand is being off brand is also on brand because you know if if you feel some type of way about it, feel feel a certain type of way. So, look, I've posted a copy of Bulletproof Investing to Jim Chalmers. Highlighted <coughs> step uh, Bulletproof tip number three: spend on yeah. what you need, not what you want. Jim, oh, not sure oh. if you'll care. I don't even reckon it'll make its way to him, but. Um, <laughs> In any event, that was that was what I didn't like. What I what I liked, and look, I think you know, overall, the budget never really has that big an impact on property investors and investors more broadly. I think um, you know, it's it's worth observing. There's a few things here and there, uh, but it was the numbers that I thought were number one. They got me excited, um, but number two, that they, they actually really surprised me, and that was the assumptions that were made by the government around our overseas migration over the course of the next three years, they're forecasting that uh, we're going to see a million net overseas migrants in the next mm. three years and that's on top of another 300,000 in um, uh, births, uh, so natural increase. Mm-hmm. That means we're going to add the population equivalent to a whole nother city of Adelaide in yeah. three years. Crazy. That's Almost what? impossible to comprehend. Actually, that's it's actually slightly more than Adelaide, which, but when you put into the context of adding a whole city, that is, that's context. <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? And sorry, is it 300,000 births as in 100,000 per year over the next three years alongside the 1 million migrants? Yeah, give or take. Yeah, it's actually slightly higher than that, but yeah, 1.3 million, nice round mm. number. Uh, in in three years, and mm. I guess you know, uh, at the same time that we've got a a housing crisis, and that's now yep. now everywhere, um, yes. wasn't much in the budget to deal with the housing crisis. In fact, there was there was nothing really. Um, so I'm not Is sure where they're mental? all going to live. You know, we've got a one percent vacancy yeah. rate in Australia at the moment. Rents going up by ten percent per annum. Hard to see. Hard to see. To be honest with you, rents or values increasing by less than ten percent for those three years, don't you think? Oh, it, like it's it's just classic supply and demand and without more supply coming on and we're pumping up the demand of, of migrants, it's only going to go one way and it's in the properties are going to go up and the rents are going to go up. You know, these these rental caps, um, they they serve a purpose maybe short term um, for, for, I guess, those who are already renting, but long term... The focus needs to be supply, not capping rents. You cap rents, you know, you perpetuate an issue. You've got to actually unlock supply. And you know what's really interesting? We've been texting around this week and um, John, my dad, your uncle, found it in the paper a couple of days ago, but we're starting to see state government pushing really hard on local government. Mm. And it's it's probably happened, you know, over time, but now amongst what is categorically the biggest housing crisis that Australia has ever seen, um, state are pushing local. And we're seeing the Queensland state government actually saying to the Gold Coast City Council, hey, if you don't push through detached dwelling approvals, 
within I think it's about 10, ten days. 10 days, yeah. We're, we're going to take over and we're going to actually start to push those approvals through. So, you know, there's some, um, I guess, recognition that supply is the issue and the state are going to push those massive mm. councils or the councils. Gogo City is a big council. They take over a massive area and they're going to have net increase of 85,000 people there in the next five years, which will be the biggest five-year growth that the Gold Coast will have ever seen. So, you know, they're getting pushed to actually bring on that supply. So that is very interesting. And the Queensland State have actually, um, they've sort of really started to stomp their feet. It's funny, it's funny how quickly supply. property investors become the bad guy, don't they? You know, have you seen, oh, seen everyone, yes, everyone that, saying, oh, get rid of negative gearing. That, oh, sure. that will that, solve yes. housing affordability Nothing. and, and this, the, the, the um, housing crisis supply levels. No, no. The, like, you know, and this is, I was talking to um, Beck in our office the other day, and, you know, and a couple of the marketing girls and they're saying, you know, why do they still give out incentives, you know, to first home buyers? It's like, well, they that we need new houses. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, other countries don't really have first home buyer incentives because they don't necessarily have the population growth that we do. We have some of the highest population growth in the Western world. We have, you know, for the last five years and it looks like we're going to continue to have it. We need to encourage young people to buy um, not only for their own, I guess, uh, security, if you want to call it that, but, but to stimulate more housing. And the same for private investors. If we can negatively gear, it's easy for us to buy and actually hold and cash flow those, which also creates supply. Mm. Private, private investors in Australia, like they're, they're a significant portion of our, of our market. Um, and we, I, and we need them. I mean, the government can't supply the housing, affordable or, or regular. Um, yeah. and we're just, we're not quite there on big institutional money like, you know, country, other countries are where they're building whole, whole housing estates just on mm. and owning the whole thing, you know. Anthony Albanese came out within hours and said, no, we're not touching negative gearing. I think they're still scarred from 2019. And, and, <laughs> and ultimately he has negatively geared investment properties himself. So I he think does. he, he, he sees the, the need and, and benefit. But property mm. investors, you know, I think it's like this misconception and, and we know more than anyone else, I think, that, mm. you know, people think that property investors are the, the ultra wealthy and the high income earners. Not it couldn't case. be further from the truth. <laughs> you know, two, two thirds of property investors, this is ATO numbers, two thirds of property investors in Australia and there's 2.23 million of them earn less than $100,000 a year. Wow, there you go. Two thirds of them. The most common professions <laughs> For property investment are, uh, and you can probably guess a few of these. Oh, yeah. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. Nurses, accountants, teachers, electricians, and administrative workers. Accountants? What does that tell <laughs> <Yeah>. you? What <laughs> is, if that's not a tick of approval for, like, minimizing tax, come but, on. But also, I think it's, like, whoever invented – I think it was um, – I think I think it was Paul Ketting, but whoever mm. brought in negative gearing, um, greatest thing you've you've ever done because it yeah. not only produces affordable housing, it great does. tick, but also it gives um, tax deductions to you know middle income earners and ultimately allows them to build wealth so they don't rely on the welfare system. Do you know? Do you know? How, I, question without notice. How many oh, how many dear. tax refunds do you reckon the ATO? in dollar terms, sends out each year to property investors. 
Oh, I know this, and I've. Com- it's like we. I know we've talked about this, but I've. Completely- I didn't know this. I had, I had to research this. I had no idea. Okay, can I ask you one question? Is it in the millions or billions? Yes, millions. It's- yeah. Okay. Um, eight hundred and seventy million. One hundred and ten million. Shut up. That's one, nothing. One hundred and ten million, and and the welfare bill in Australia is two hundred and twenty billion. So how does it work that like oh providing negative gearing to low and middle income earners? Isn't a better way than than um, you know bringing in all these foreign owned companies mm. to go and mm. build all these apartments and own them, and mm. then get more and more people relying on the pension? Like it's just ludicrous. Yeah. The the only and to go full circle, the only incentive contained in the budget to in, incentivize housing supply mm. was to allow foreign companies to do build for rent projects in Australia. They allowed um, them. They gave them a fifty percent discount on tax. Yes, and they I allowed think Queensland to, pushed that, didn't they? Queensland started that. They did, and they allowed yep. them to depreciate their houses at four percent per annum, while mum and dad investors only get to do it at two and a half percent. Two and a half. How did it not make more sense to allow mum and dad investors those incentives instead? I just do not get it. We're going to incentivize foreign companies to own all of our real estate instead mm. of pushing the incentives on the 2.3 million property investors who could probably give us the 100,000 houses we need within 12, 24 months. Ludicrous. 100%, 100%. And, you know, like still like private investors have always copped the blame. You know, the frigging rich of the company, all of that, of the of the country, all of that. You know, it's just it is what it is. But, you know, here we are. Here we are. We are in a housing crisis. We don't have enough housing. We don't have enough rental properties it's and it's not a thing that happened overnight. It's an accumulation of years after years after years of undersupply, isn't it? Um, and I guess I guess the the point that I want to make too on that is, as a property investor, I'm hearing all the time, yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to buy a property, but I think I'll just wait. And it's like, all right, let let's just unpack that for a moment. We've got the biggest housing crisis we've ever seen in in Australia's history. We know that. So you're definitely going to rent your property. (laughs) Got a million migrants moving here in the next three years. You're definitely going to rent your property. Interest rates, okay, yeah, they're pretty high. Um, You know, there is a little bit more negative gearing or, you know, you're neutrally geared. We've been spoiled with positively geared properties the last two or three years. It's been fantastic. Yeah, okay, whatever. That's behind us. Now, it's likely that we're going to have to free up money again and incentivize people to do what they do and and that means that interest rates at some point in the next 6 to 12 months probably going to level out or come down. Would you rather be in the market when that happens or wait to buy when that happens when every other Joe Blow is also going to start buying? Well, and that's that's well, it's the old Warren Buffett saying, isn't it? Be um, greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Um, Absolutely. He's the best in the business and I think overwhelmingly people are more fearful than 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 greedy they today. Are. They are. I think too, like interest rates cycle. You've owned property for 10 years, as have I. The reality is for 80% of the time, your interest rates are at like 4 or 5%, more mm. or less paid for by the rent, and then you get a tax deduction on your property for, for the, the depreciation. Yep. For one or two years max, you pay higher than that, and for just as many years as you're paying higher than that, you get interest rates lower than that, where you are, you, you're positive before tax and, and really positive after tax. So I've never understood like, you know, making a decision on whether to buy based off what interest rates are 
um, just, just because it, 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 it evens itself out over, over the, the long term. And, and more commonly, you see prices go up immediately following and during high interest rate environments. So t- technically, it's probably the, the best time. Obviously, you've got to be comfortable with the numbers, but high interest rates means high inflation means values and rents are going up. So it's sort of the the completely wrong way to look mm. at it. But um, yeah, that's that's right. In any event, the, the, I agree. The, why why yeah. wait? Yeah, I certainly think why wait any time, but certainly high interest rate environment, uh, the last time you want to want to wait in my view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Step, step, fact. The stat man. Step, fact. All right, I've got the uh, stat fact for you this week and it is hot off the press actually. Just as I was walking in, I, uh, I, I read it in the newspaper whilst I was waiting. Wage growth, 3.7% highest since 2012. It's about time. 2012, it's 11 years. 11 years, highest wage growth, 3.7%, predominantly driven by uh, by public sector, actually. The public sector was 4%. So uh, all the the bureaucrats getting uh, slightly better pay rise than the private industry at the moment. Like, anyway, whatever, losers. (laughs) So. Oh, mate, we would have a lot of we would have a lot of listeners, no, and in fact, I'm we have sorry. a lot of friends. I have a lot of I'm friends s- who are employed. I'm sorry, in fact, my I'm wife sorry. is employed by the by the public sector. Oh, what? Don't do is that. Don't put really? me in. Don't put me in the doghouse. No, yeah, no, I'm sorry. They're not losers. It's. I just um. <laughs> we just talked at the start about the budget and how you know we're like they're pulling money from all angles. You know, everyone's paying. You know, anyway, just whatever. I'm going to dig myself a hole here, but I didn't. I was just being silly. Just being silly. Can I tell a really good story? Go for it. You you kind of started today's podcast by saying, "Oh, you know, go a little bit off course," or "I went a little bit off brand in your thing." I didn't. I don't think you did, but this is definitely off brand. But it's just an awesome story. <laughs> Here we go. This is the true off brand. Um, no, no. So I dabble in LinkedIn from time to time. Uh, request me if you listen to this and we're not connected. I post some absolute doozies, not really, um, sometimes. <laughs> but there was an awesome post. You know how some posts on LinkedIn, they go viral and there's like, you know, 50,000 yeah. people that have liked it and you go, oh, what's this? And I don't follow this person, but I, I caught wind of it. The I already know actually, the one you're talking about. Yep. Oh, really? Well, yeah, well, I follow because you. Everyone's seen I follow it. you. So I saw it from you. Probably. Yeah, there you go. I probably reposted it. But um, I didn't know this. The One of the founders of Netflix, his name is Mark Randolph. And he posted his story and it was just awesome. I don't normally read posts this long, but the start of it got me when he said, in 2000, Blockbuster was the rental king with 9,000 stores and 60,000 employees. And I was like, all right, you've got my attention now because we all know how that story ended. (laughs) There's a Blockbuster near our office in um, Gold Coast and Orang or was a Blockbuster and you can still see how they're painted white over the front. You can still see the the corpse of the blockbuster sign underneath. Anyway, basically, um, this guy, Mark Randolph, he started with um, a mate of his in 1998, a DVD postal subscription service. So you just choose your video or DVD and it gets posted to you and you post it back when you're done. So basically blockbuster but without the store and no late fees and no due date. Just post it back when you're ready, no worries. You pay a subscription, right? Basically they started um, putting in tons of cash 
They started to ride that dot-com boom and they were in Silicon Valley, bloody just absolutely killing it. And then some of you may know the dot-com boom pretty much popped year 2000 or slightly after and um, they were scrambling for cash. They were $50 million in the hole but they had a very good business and they were actually doing quite well. So what did they do? They went to Blockbuster and they said to Blockbuster, listen, we've got a very successful business. Blockbuster are also successful. You guys have the stores and we've got the subscription service where, you know, people can order it to their home. So let's join forces, take Blockbuster to the next level um, and uh, and go from there. And Blockbuster's like leaned in, absolutely loving it. Um, and then it came to the to the time. So, yes, yeah, so Blockbuster said, "How much is going to cost us?" And the guys sort of figured, "Well, you know, we're fifty million in the hole, so I guess well, fifty million—that's what it's going to cost you." <laughs> and basically, Blockbuster laughed at them and saw them out of their office. And then he sort of goes on to say, "It basically took them years to get themselves out of a hole, push really hard, and then they evolved their model to the online subscription." platform that we now know to be Netflix. Um, Netflix today, well, let's just go back to 2000. They tried to get 50 million from Blockbuster to buy whatever it was called then, Netflix. I don't, I don't know if it was called it then. Blockbuster laughed them out. No, today, it, was, it was called Netflix. It yeah. was? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit, I've read, there there's go. a book called uh, That Will Never Work. Which, oh, which uh, Mark Randolph wrote. Um, I, I listened to it, it actually on Audible. Hey. It was really good. He so um, he narrates good. it. Um, oh, and, that's and, great! Yeah, it's 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 an amazing story because yeah, that so, they I, I can't remember, but like I think they started. You might have just said that was it ninety seven or something something like that. Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Ninety eight. And and yet it really took them more than a decade before they. Made any ground, Hit their straps, um, yeah, and then and then it, it took fast internet to kind of you know that they yeah. needed fast internet to be developed. Anyway, it's a great book, and um and yeah, really interesting culture at Netflix too, which I reckon comes across in the way that they like sort of run their branding. You know that they've mm. got a I feel like they've got a slightly more aggressive branding um take than than some of the other streaming services. Um, they're they're without a doubt still the best, and I guess it's because they got in the market so early and. Basically, I don't. I'm going to say they they birthed that idea. And um, sorry, and the fifty million is worth how much? Because um, uh, like block, blockbusters in the in I think blockbusters does it still exist. Store. It's got one store. Don't know oh. where it is. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're selling. Oh. But maybe oh. it's you know in the deep south where people don't have the internet. Who knows? It's now worth a hundred and fifty billion dollars. Um, and blockbuster <laughs> went from nine thousand nine thousand stores to just one. Um, so, like, I guess just an awesome story. Biggest takeaway, you know, is is simply that um, sometimes, well, he actually says, if you're unwilling to disrupt your business, there will always be someone willing to do it for you. But I guess also yeah. if you if you really believe in what you're doing and you can see, you can see its potential when no one else can. And, and a lot of those stories are the same, Airbnb as well. Um, you know, just keep just keep going. And, and, and as your as your dad famously and routinely says, if you're standing still, you're going backwards. Mm. I mean, there probably was time for that was me. Blockbuster, I thought right? they were standing still. Netflix yeah, probably and, did stand still for for a decade, yeah. but but now they're yeah going forward. 
Hey, uh, geez, we got on the soapbox a bit uh, today. I didn't realise how long that first <laughs> little uh, section went. Just apologies, yeah, apologies if we lost you. If we lost you, you're probably not still with us. But um, <laughs> anyway, hit us up. Any maybe you like us on the soapbox? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Any feedback, good or bad, send it yep. through. We, we're it we're quite fortunate that we get. A uh, fair bit of feedback, normally over the email, mm. really. Uh, email and Instagram, I guess. Sorry, we don't give our mobile numbers out and I'm certainly not about to start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, sorry about that. And, look, listen, to any to any public workers that I offended, I'm sorry and I didn't mean it. I did not. Well, and I'll find out just how much trouble I'm in in a few hours when I get home. Oh, dear. Oh, wait, no, this doesn't drop for a week. I'm clear. All good. <laughs> All hey, right. Stop exposing us. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is the double shot dot podcast that my friends is the double shot dot podcast until next time think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot